0: Welcome to the Let's Explore podcast. I'm Lane McCall, and this is our second ever episode of the podcast, and I'm very happy to have with me a couple gentlemen Um, that were with us in episode one. We have Don Keithley and Darren Begley. Don's been a pastor for 48 years and now is the president of Global Grace Seminary, and he teaches uh, on YouTube and online on a digital cathedral on Sundays now. Um, Darren's been a pastor for 25 years. He's the founder of Key to Justice Ministries. He's the author of the book, I Am Identified. Last session, gentlemen, we had a wonderful time exploring church culture Now, um, we're going to shift a little bit and talk about church history, Um, how the heck we got here from a couple thousand years ago, a total upheaval of a religious system, and now, um, if you spend any amount of time in church and you begin to think for yourself and begin to look outside of the boxes that are painted for you, you begin to see some things that are a little upside down. So, I know, Don, you've... uh, you you know a bit about Augustine, St. Augustine, and how in in around the year 300, right. we began to see some things happen in, in church that had never existed before. Can you kind of just share a little bit about what happened around that time, what right. was going
1: on? Yeah. Well, let me just preface it by saying this. I think it's interesting. When we look at church history, we look at the first century church. And the first century church grew by leaps and bounds. It spread the gospel all over the entire known world. And they had no Bible. They had no set theology in stone. Uh, They had nothing really except the spirit of truth that was in them, directing them and leading them. And they really got the job done, you know. So I, I think it's, I think you know, one of the things I'm seeing is I think we're coming back to that that place again. History repeats itself. I think we're going back to that place where we're getting the Bible, the Scripture in its right place. We're getting our theology in a, in a position where it should be. And I think we're beginning to listen to the spirit of truth begin to lead us today. Uh, there's leaders that are popping up that are beginning to really get into the flow of this. So for the first 300 years, the church kind of went along there were there were some upheavals there were some things that happened but for me the first big turn was augustine he he planted two major doctrines in the church that have influenced the western church to no end and have created for me the the, the major difficulties that we face in trying to get people deprogrammed and in, into maybe some some truth today one of them is was the the doctrine of the endemic nature that man was born in sin, separated from God in a sinful nature. That when God looked at him, he was you know he was upset, he was angry. Um, the other doctrine that Augustine is well known for is the doctrine of eternal conscious torment, we call hell, and he began to to propagate that and the church took it on the eastern church when the, when there was the split the eastern church really never adhered to augustine like the western church so when we look at church history for me augustine was the guy that set in motion some of the things that we're having to deal with today that are that are the the, the sacred cows that once we disrupt those and bring those down then everything else becomes a little bit easier to deal with you know, you
0: mentioned something in in um in your first statement. You said um, they were getting the job done, right? Like as early, what the heck are we doing? Like, what is the what is the the job of the church? What's this big mission? Because I'm coming out of a place where I don't believe it's to save me from burning for eternity. I don't. I mean, I used to think that, and that drove me in fear. But what in the in the what did Jesus come to do? Did he came to Stop you from burning for eternity, or did he come to do something different? What do you guys see that as?
2: Well, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think Colossians is clear he came to reconcile all things. And, you know, in doing that, um, we have made it about, you know, going to a building, uh, paying our dues, uh, giving money, um, you know, doing things that make us feel better about ourselves mm. outside of the relationship with him. Mm. So rules and regulations without relationship always equals rebellion. And I think, you know, when you look at Augustine and what he did, he was tormented within himself. He had his, his own sexual issues mm-hmm. that he couldn't overcome. Mm-hmm. And so you see him, you know, a lot of times the, the, the hardest person on someone is them. Mm-hmm. And so he was condemning himself. His own heart was condemning him. And so out of that place, he came with some doctrines and with some theology that it really didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. And and so from that place, you know, a system started to be carried out um, that, like Pastor Don was saying, it, it, it never should have went that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say this all the time is we're not here to live by the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're here to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's a relationship. Okay, if you live by the Bible, once again, if you take things out of context, you can make the Bible say what you want it to say by taking things out of context. And here we see nations that don't even have the Bible, and they're doing some of the greatest exploits from God because we've made we've made a, a, a worship service out of the Bible,
1: right?
2: You know, and I think that's strong was saying. I think that's what's shifting is is we're coming back and and really starting to understand this is about a relationship with God. It's not about Him saving us from a place, okay, it's it's more about him reconciling the decisions that Adam made, okay, and showing us that he he's never separated from us. You know, we, we have this whole thing that, you know, God couldn't look on sin. Well, as soon as Adam sinned, God come looking for him, asking him where he was. It wasn't God hiding, it was Adam hiding, you know, and we've turned the whole thing around and said God's separated from man. God's never separated from man. God is always the pursuer. It's, it's in our mindset in our thinking is we've seen God different. And what's happening now is, is we're confronting those things. And I, I preached a message this Sunday is the lie is never exposed as a lie until truth confronts it. If a lie confronts a lie, it's still a lie. But when truth showed up, because truth's a person, mm-hmm. and when he shows up, then that lie is exposed for what it is, that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Every every reformation that's taken place since the uh, first century church has been toward getting us back to where I believe we're headed today. You know, we could run through a list of the church fathers, whether it was Athanasius or Agenome, We could run through all of them, and all of them just kept building on uh, this whole thing of, of of doctrine: who's right, who's wrong, who's in, who's out. Uh, finally, finally, Luther goes to the door of the church and puts his 95 thesis on. Then we've got a split now from the Catholic church, and, you know, and, and, and so we've got all of that. But it all comes back to interpretation of Scripture, and I don't know how we can get away from that. The first century church didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a building. They didn't have anything. They had a relationship but every, when we look at church history, everything that was developed through our history has been to develop some kind of system to reach God. And the whole basis of reaching God is, is the premise that Augustine developed is that we're separated from God. There's no, 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 no scripture that I can find that says God ever separated himself from us. 2 Corinthians five nineteen says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He wasn't reconciling Himself to the world; He was ever not. He was He was not ever in a place of not being reconciled to us. We, we were the ones that had the skewed vision. Uh, Colossians says we were the ones that were aliens and separated in our mind because of the things we did. We didn't we didn't think God was pleased with us. So and that was all developed through church history, through church history. And it's just been one layer on top of another, until finally today, you know, we're coming back. I think to that first century position uh, of of okay, let's let's not. Darren said so correctly that we're to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is not the Bible. <clears throat> the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is the word He's speaking to us. It's present truth today. And what we've done is we've said the Bible is the Word of God. Bible doesn't even make the claim itself to be the Word of God. Bible never says it's the Word of God. There's only one Word of God, and he was made flesh and dwelled among us. So that's the living Word. That is the Word of God. So we, but we've made the Bible the fourth member of the Trinity, and in making it the fourth member of the Trinity, we've elevated it to a position that it was never intended to be elevated in. And so the first thing that anybody says when they're challenged or light comes is, well, the, you know what the Bible says, because that's been our go-to position rather than the Spirit of Truth. And what what do you feel inside? What's He saying to you? What's He directing you to do? What's He saying? You know how, how, how's how's God leading us today? And that needs to be where we go to first. And that's where they were at in the first century. From first century on, it be, we began to develop uh, systems and means to take us away from what made us good to begin with. In, when I say good, in, in propagating the gospel, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, uh, the advancement of the kingdom, everything they did in the first century was disintegrated by church history. And every time a, a, a church father began to emerge, it was always to move us away from, I don't think it was consciously, but move us away from the roots that we had to, to begin with. So today, I think we're coming back to the roots. We're seeing the restoration. What is it? Acts 3.21 says that we will see the restoration of all things that were spoken of by the prophets. I think we're restoring back today in our minds, our consciousness. We're beginning to discover who we've always been. But who we thought we were was covered over with all kinds of religious garbage and trash. And that's all being cleared away today. And we're starting to see ourselves the way that he sees us. In 1 Corinthians at 13, it says that we will come to the place where we are known as we are known. We'll know ourselves as he, as he knows us. And that's where, we're, that's where we're at the threshold of today, is seeing us like he sees us.
0: It's like we've built these systems on one singular idea, and that idea is that there's a problem. There, there is. We're starting with a problem. I mean, like, sin's the problem. We're not good enough's the problem. We're not spiritual is the problem. We've And we built systems on that instead of starting with a solution or starting with something good, who is a person of Jesus, what Jesus came to actually reveal about us when we thought, oh, there's a big problem. You know, it's like when when you read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and they they eat of the tree and then they're hiding and here comes God walking in and i one day i thought to myself what are they hiding from this is like mr love like mr i've loved you the whole time why are they hiding it's obviously something in their mind that has been twisted and it's almost like we've built these systems and you had the, the catholic church has been just massively expansive all over the earth but it's like these systems based upon the fact that you're not spiritual enough you're not good enough but if you come here and you listen to us and you do what we tell you to do, it's gonna be okay.
1: Well, religion always, if you notice, any religion uh, begins at the fall. It begins with a problem, it begins with separation. Whereas, whereas Ephesians 1 says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So before we were ever lost in Adam, we were found in Christ. And we could go Scripture after Scripture that shows our point of origination was oneness. It was union. It wasn't separation. Separation is what we can trace back through church history, back to Augustine, point forward that made the problem the starting point when the problem is not the starting point. The solution is the starting point and the relationship we had with him. So that's correct church history coming forward.
2: Well, you know, you look at the book of Revelations, he was slain before the foundation of the world. Yeah. So the answer to the problem is if there's ever a problem. So in God's right. eyes, there is no problem. Right. And so yeah. when you look at the book of Genesis, when it says in the beginning, that word in means alpha and omega. That's the beginning and the end. Mm. Okay. So Mm. all things were finished in him before he ever started them. When you're, when you start to shift in your mindset to realize you were blessed before you were cursed, Mm. then you start to go, wait a minute, who told me I was cursed? Right. Right. You know, who told me that this, and and that's where we're at today. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. I had this young man come to our church. never been before. And I give him a prophetic word. Um, he, he was seeing my daughter and, and later he said, uh, you didn't tell me your dad was a psychic. Mm. And she's laughing said, well, he's not, he's not a psychic. Cause yeah, nobody could know that stuff. I said, we can make some money with this. So anyway, the, the intriguedness of this, uh, he, he kept coming. Well, he has an encounter with God. I never let him in the prayer. He had an encounter with God. He gets, um, filled with the spirit in the shower, starts having these dreams where God starts showing him things and telling him things. And so he's, he's in my house one day and, and, um, He said, I'm mad at God. I said, really? Well, why are you mad at God? He said, well, I applied for this job, and in the dream, he showed me I'm not going to get it. I said, so hang on here. So the creator of the universe um, gives you a dream and is telling you you're not going to get a job that you think is the job that you want. But he's saying it's not the job that's best for you. Mm. So he's not going to let you get it because he has something better, and you're upset at him. Okay? Two days later, it played out just like in the dream, he didn't get the job. Three days later, he got a better job. Mm-hmm. Not only did he get a better job, he worked for them for a month, they sold the company. The new company come in, gave him more money, mm-hmm. more authority, and so he's at the house the other day and I said, uh, so are you still mad at God for giving you the job that he wanted you to have? And and he's just like, no. <laughs> but the whole, the whole thing of that is, he didn't get that out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He didn't get that by a bunch of going to church, He started having a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't know anything. He didn't know who Noah was. He didn't know who Moses was. He didn't know what the Ten Commandments were. Mm -hmm. It's sad to say, but in some ways it was was a good thing Mm -hmm. because he's not going there to get the answers. He's going out of relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And so I I think as we're talking about this, I think that's it's hard to say this. It's almost like he's delivering us from the book Mm -hmm. and taking us back into the relationship with Mm -hmm. the person.
1: You know the the oldest sales formula is problem plus solution equals sale. Mm. You know when the, when the vacuum cleaner man comes to the door he'll come in and dump dirt on the floor and then show you how good his Hoover is at picking it up. Okay. So what we've done in the church is we've created a problem which is separation, which is God's angry, God's vindictive, God's judicial and now we have the solution for you. And if we can provide the solution to your problem, then we get the sale, which is pray the prayer, sign the card, uh, join the discipleship class, get your box of tithe envelopes, and become part of, of the club. So even... When you look back, I used to use the four spiritual laws a lot when I would lead people to Jesus. And the four spiritual laws start with problem. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, but the problem is sin has separated you from God. But Jesus has crossed the chasm and has made a way. But just to know this is not enough. You have to accept it for yourself, all right? So those are the four spiritual laws. It begins with problem, gives us a solution. Now let's bow our head and pray, and let's ask Jesus into our heart. Now I have completed the sale. I've closed the deal. And I leave feeling, man, I led somebody to the Lord. I showed them the problem, gave them the solution, they bought, and now we've got another one that's part of the club. And... All through history <laughs> this is what's developed into the church until today we're just we're products of that and we just keep repeating and repeating and repeating when we start with the first century church it was Jesus plus nothing it was all good news with no bad news it was Jesus and no additions Paul got after the judaizers because they said yes it's Jesus plus circumcision then you're saved so the sinner's prayer has become our circumcision. Right, yeah. It's become our gospel add on, praying the prayer, accepting whatever. It, we've made it Jesus plus this, then it's complete. Mm-hmm. And we look at the Judaizers and we say, how could they ever think circumcision was part of the plan? And yet we've turned right around through history, especially with, uh, you know, in the 17th century with guys like Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. Those reformers are the ones that really brought this altar call, pray the prayer, make the decision, and now you're in. They have they were the ones that really created that. There were no altar calls before that time. Right. And then Billy Graham was the one that really made it popular of come forward to do this, separating the crowd from the haves and the have-nots. Now you come forward and you got it. And so we just, because it was so successful, the church picked it up, and it's done on every local church now. Right. Well,
2: then here's the other thing, though. That they went They tagged on with it, that when you accept Christ, then you'll have more problems. Yeah. And then I've, I've dealt with, especially with youth, you know, I was driving down the road with this guy one time, and and, uh, and he told me, he said, I said, how come you don't come to church anymore? And he said, well, they lied to me. Hmm. I was, well, so what do you mean? I was, well, the, the preacher told me if I'd accept Jesus into my life, I'd have, have any more problems. He said, <laughs> I did that, and my problems got worse. Wow. You know, and it's almost like you start with a problem, Jesus is the answer, and then we tell them, they won't have any more problems. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Mm. He said, he, "He, of course, he's the answer to the problem. But the answer to the problem is a relationship mm-hmm. that you have with him. That now you are journeying in life with him. Mm-hmm. Life has obstacles, period. And when you have Jesus, he helps you to go through those obstacles and overcome them. Mm-hmm. Never said there is not going to be obstacles. Matter of fact, he said you are going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. Mm-hmm. You know. So the thing is, is they sold a bill of goods, but then they even lied." in in the reality of what they're selling because it's almost like this too good to be true, hey, you'll never have another problem if you'll just say this prayer. Well, it's nothing about the prayer. It has to do with that relationship. It's kind of like marriage. you know. In marriage, it's not about that we're not gonna have problems in our marriage. But now I have someone in my life that I'm committed to in my life to walk through those problems. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The joys are so much greater than any obstacles that we're dealing with. And matter of fact, you look at those obstacles and you turn back and go, man, I am who I am because I went through that yeah. and that now I'm a better person for that. Okay, It teaches you things you can't learn any other
1: way. You can't be an overcomer if you don't have something to overcome. But, but you can see how the, when you look back at history, all of these things are deeply ingrained. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of years of believing it one way. Mm. So now when we come and we're trying to dig that out, to move into relationship out of out of ritual or out of you you this is the way you accept the Lord this is the way you get saved this is how you do it right you pray let me give you the formula here this is what this what this is what'll turn it for you and we've done that for since the time of the if seventeen hundreds we've done it four hundred years that's the way my daddy did it my granddaddy did it his daddy did it so why would it be any different today right? Nobody questioned it, and that's led back way back then to Augustine, and the problem that he settled into the church. That yes, you got a problem, and now we have to come with a solution. Jesus is the solution, which he is. He is the solution, but it's not to the problem you presented. Yeah, because <laughs> there was no problem that you brought to us, right? He came to show us the, uh, how to how to really live a, a life that was abundant and full and a life that we've always had but we're blind to it so now the the job today is opening people's eyes not making a decision it's opening eyes it's shining light it's bringing truth and revelation which is progressive people's little peepers get open a little bit and once they begin to see then they want to see some more so it's not i'm not anymore trying to get people to make a decision i'm trying to get them to understand who they've always been and once they once they start tracking that then they get hungry for more. All right. My job is to make disciples, not converts. There's a difference between a convert and a disciple. I used to make converts, converts to what I believed. But a disciple is a process. Discipleship's a process. It's a little at a time, here, a little, there, a little, and, and it's a you know, it's a conforming to the image of Christ as we go. That's what the fivefold ministry is supposed to do, isn't it? Yeah. Bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ.
2: Yeah. But here's the here's the curveball in that as well, though. It, which is, I, I just laugh at it. I just like, oh my gosh, is they give us all that. And then now the times that we're living, they say, well, you know, it's the last days. So there's this great falling the way. And so all these people that are in love with their self and doing all these things they go, well, see, there's nothing you can do about that because it's fulfilling prophecy. And, and I'm looking at that going, wow, you're setting yourself up to where you can't fail as a minister because you got a problem. I got the answer. I give you the answer. And then you walk away and go back into your problems. But you know what? It's the last day. So you're going to do that. And there's
1: nothing I can do about it. Darren, so his, I'm, I'm his, protecting myself all the his, Darren, historically, when did that rapture thing start? How did that ever weave its way into the church?
2: 1830s with uh, Scofield and Darby. Mm-hmm. And Darby was preaching this stuff. And um, he was actually in Scotland. And this little girl had a vision. And now they don't. What they don't tell you is Darby was teaching this doctrine in that home. Then the girl had a dream or a vision. Okay, they don't tell you that part. And from there, Schofield was underneath Darby, and he brought it back to America, and then he wrote the Schofield Bible. Yeah. Now, if you go back and study Schofield, he was a rascal man. He did time in jail, uh, swindled his mother-in-law out of money. Now, uh, listen, I did I did time in jail, but he did it after quote. He was walking with God not before. <laughs> and and so and so what he did, he wrote the Schofield Bible and then he put his notes in it, his footnotes. Well, you have to understand something, the mid eighteen hundreds, like I talked about a while ago, there's a lot of people very uneducated, couldn't read. And so even people that did, they just took it that as what what he wrote was that's the Bible. That's the truth. So he put his doctrine into that, mm. which was the pre-trib doctrine and the rapture and the seven years and the tribulation and all this stuff, okay? And so then when people would read it, that become the belief system of the day because that was the Bible of the day. Mm. And they just looked at it as, well, that's, that's the Bible. No, that's not the Bible. That's his interpretation of what he's saying from the Bible. Okay, that all come from a girl having a dream. And here's the crazy thing. Their doctrine didn't even believe in divine dreams. Mm. But yet, it all come from wow. a girl having a dream in Scotland. Wow. And uh, so when I start doing some history Studying and just finding out where these, this came from, I, I, I was amazed uh, at some of the things that I uncovered. I'm like, oh my gosh, today we would, we would look at this guy's, he has no credibility to even believe what he was saying. Wow. But because the, t- the church don't teach history, they accepted it and it really got into uneducated people where pastors just said, this is the way it is. And they used it because it was a fear-based gospel yeah. so they could control people. They could give you, get you to give money so you don't go to hell. They could get you to give money so you could go into rapture. Mm-hmm. They could get you to give money so you're right with God and ease your conscience on what you did that week. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really started coming out of this scenario of control and resources. Mm-hmm. And when you take that away, then it becomes scary to the guy in the pulpit because now he's got to trust God and not use fear to get what he's trying to get to even make a living. You know, that was
0: one of the things that started to wake me up. Uh, The church I was a part of was, you know, they taught tithing the way that tithing is taught nowadays. And I used to think, Oh, I can get this person to, to convert. I can lead them to Jesus, but then I got to convince them to tithe. (laughs) And It was like such a hangup. Like, how am I going to do this one? And, um, but it's such an interesting thing to think that, okay, you're good. Jesus loves you. You're okay with God. But if you don't give 10% of what you make to your pastor, then your whole life's cursed. Yeah, anyway, exactly, so, exactly. I mean, it, but when that broke off of me and I started seeing, wait a second. So you mean, and I remember sitting in a church meeting going, okay, they're preaching... God will heal you, that God God will forgive you, that God will um, make your life wonderful. And then I started adding the phrase, if you tithe, yeah. on everything that they said, right. and it became real apparent that the whole gospel that they, quote, gospel that they were sharing was based on my own ability to pay money right. to this God or to this minister that they told me I needed to. So it wasn't really anything about what Jesus had done. He might have done something great, but really, it was all about
2: me performing all it, of it. You know, actually, it was just a better thought out plan than when the Catholic Church would get them to pay money to get grandma out of purgatory. Mm. Same thing, same basis. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, if you gave a certain amount of money, you know, and, you, and, and then so the leaders would go in and then pray your dead relative mm-hmm. out of this place in between heaven and hell called purgatory. But the, it was all based on if you did something, right. not what God already did. Right. And then you just take it right back to the
1: same thing with same thing with tithing. We 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 uh, we talked last session about about Old Testament, New Testament mixing them up, and that tithing thing comes out of Malachi, which is an Old Testament book. And and the reason you tack tithing to everything is because the rest of that verse says if you don't tithe, you're cursed with a curse. Right. Right, so everything hinges. Right, if you're if you're sick, you got a problem. You know, are you tithing? Are you are, you know are you behind on your tithes? And I used to have, I used to use the month of December and tell people if you're behind on your tithing, you can get caught up this month, but but before the end of the year. Yeah, so you, you know? get blessed the next year. So yes, you get blessed <laughs> next year. Back to back to what he was saying about about Schofield. I used to deal with Baptist man that thought. The notes in Schofield were as divinely inspired yeah. as as the Bible. There's there's no no way around it. And I remember, I, I actually ruptured the rapture in the early 90s. I, I came out and began to teach that there was no rapture. And I I was as afraid to teach that as I was when I began to really understand the kickback from grace because everybody believed in a rapture. Yeah. It was just an accepted truth. Like Santa Claus. So when I came out and said, I don't believe there's a rapture, and we begin to walk through it, I had a lot of pushback, not as much as the grace message, but there were people that you, it just destroyed them because their only hope was to get out of this mess, yeah. to get to a better place. Right. Everything was about heaven and hell, which we'll get to maybe in another session. But because I wanted to escape, the 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 pull and the wickedness of the world, I I would look for this rapture, and people made a fortune off of it. There was a series of book called Left Behind. Oh yeah, and, and that's what that's what led me
0: to confess Jesus. Yeah, uh, Left yeah. Behind, and
1: there was a movie then it came, and boy, it was it was and more scary the better. Uh, I had a group come into the church one time. And it was Heaven's Flames or Hell's Flames. I forget Hell's the name. Hell's Gates. And, yeah, Hell's yeah. Gates. And it came in, and let me tell you something, brother. They had this thing oh, down. Oh, you get them to the altar. Oh, I'll you. Oh, you we get them to the altar. And we had just bought the church at that point, and I invited the, the banker that had financed it who had never been in church, but really I felt I had a good relationship. I invited him to that. He brought his wife and kids I never saw that man again. Mm. It, and I and looking back now, I go that was the dumbest thing that I ever could have done. But I thought I'm really helping this guy because I don't want him to end up like this, right? So I'm going to show him this this presentation. Um, but the, the the rapture thing, I think I don't know. I think it's pretty well getting weeded out in some circles. Yeah. Well, yeah. the
2: new generation just you know they're not going to. It's a fairy tale there. Yeah. But you know yeah. this is you know I said this the other day. I said let's go back to the Garden of Eden. And if Adam hadn't eat of the knowledge of good and evil, okay, in that time was there any fear in Adam's life? Ooh, Absolutely not. No. So once he ate of that tree and was cursed and brought in death, fear came in because the first thing he did was hide. Yeah. So any gospel that promotes fear, it comes from the knowledge of good and evil. Cannot come from the tree of life. Cannot be Jesus, because he said, I don't give you a spirit of fear, but a love, power, and a sound mind. Right. End of story. Perfect so anything cafeteria. that causes fear in your life not
1: coming from God. Mm-hmm. It's coming from the knowledge of good and evil. Well, I know our topic is is church history. And if you go back through church history, that's what religion was built on, was good and evil, right, wrong, do, don't do. So we've always been dualistic in our approach to God rather than there's only tree of life. There's just one source. What he says and what he says alone is it. You don't you don't have to make a determination. Just do what he says. Just follow what he's what he's saying. But we've built the right, wrong, good, evil so that you can come to church and I can tell you what to do, what not to do, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. And so the whole foundation historically has been been built on that. Yeah. Um and that's what we're coming out of today. Yeah, just
2: like Moses and the Jews.
1: Mm. Yep.
0: And you know what, going right back to what you were talking about in the beginning about Augustine and the, the thought of eternal conscious torment, which we call hell, it's like that fear doctrine almost has to be put off into tomorrow, into the next life. Because if you're just living this life, you got problems and you have issues, but for religion to take a hold of you and to actually get you to do what it wants, you've got to give some fear for, for the next life so that we can keep you in line and we can, and I don't blame people, but this whole system and the, the, the whole thought processes that go into this thing are are just
2: pretty crazy. And well, it's
0: never about just living a good life no. here and now and expressing. All,
2: all three God. of them are based there is mm-hmm. what we don't really, heaven, hell and rapture. Yeah, that's All right. are based on fear.
0: Yeah.
2: But what, what do you mean about heaven? Well, if you, if you do make it in. Then you're gonna to have to give an account of everything you did in front of everybody. <laughs> you know? And so but it's also in the future. Yeah. So it's still fear. Yeah. So it's, it's, if you give, if you're good enough, you you can make it. Yeah. Hell is fear. Mm-hmm. Getting left in the rapture is fear. All three of them are based in fear. Because mm-hmm. like Jesus it. said this, I come to bring the kingdom now. Mm-hmm. Heaven lives in Jesus. Yeah. So when he comes to live in you, guess what? Mm-hmm. You got the kingdom. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of heaven is in you. It's not, it's not just a place, it's a realm. So
1: that fear, I think, carries with it even a deeper issue because you'll never trust anybody that you fear i've I've counseled women that have come into my office their their faces are beat up their eyes are black and it's because their husband beat them they don't tr- that you think they're going to trust that husband they're, they don't trust no. him that flat out will not trust him because they fear him so when we've when we've built this fear issue into the church what it really does it, it has undermined our trusting God we don't trust him he's not really a trustworthy father because we we, we fear him, so therefore we can't have faith. We can't believe that he's going to do what he said he would do because you never know how he's going to act. I, because And the whole root is, is, is the fear. So we've tried to get people to trust a God that they fear, and you can't you cannot do it. That's so, mission impossible. Yeah, it's almost
2: like an alcoholic father. Mm. And, and if anybody's ever been around an alcoholic, you just don't know what you're going to get. But you come home one day, and he's giving you money. Yeah, because he's in a good mood. Mm-hmm. But then you coming home the next day and, and he's beating you. Yeah, and you know what? That's the perspective we have of God. Yeah. Because you know what? Sometimes he's just good, man. He blesses you. Just caught him on a good day. Yeah. But boy, you catch him on that day when it's not so good. Then all of a sudden, then you know you don't you don't trust that. You're not looking forward to that. You're scared both days. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And if that's your relationship with God, that's what you're getting in church. I'm just going why would you go? That's where I was at. I'm like, I'm more tormented by going.
0: Right. Yeah. Because
2: that's what I'm hearing every week. And I'm just like, I ain't going to make it anyway. So if, if that's who he is, I, I, I don't want to know that God. Mm-hmm. And and when I had an encounter with God and he started showing me who he was, I'm like, wait a minute. This is not who they told me you were, mm-hmm. you know? And, and what he was doing was saying, well, whose word are you going to take for it? Like well, I think I'm going to take yours, you know. And a lot of times, this is what's sad. A lot of times, it takes crisis for us to get there. Yeah. But that's the mercy of God is even in our crisis, He'll use the crisis. He don't do it. But He'll use that crisis to reveal His goodness to you.
1: So today we are we are in a modern reformation. Absolutely, it is a it is a reformation. A reformation of tradition, a reformation of doctrine, a reformation of our beliefs, a reformation of the way we do church. It's a reformation of everything that we've known. And so God's picked out these tough-skinned people to lead the way, to be the first wave of it, to break it for everybody else. The first wave on is always the big casualty wave. You know, when they hit the island in World War II, that first wave off the boats were the guys that got gunned down, and the next wave would push it further, push it further, till eventually they took the whole island. And that's kind of what's going on today. You know, guys like Darren, they're they're reformers. They they are reforming everything that has been done and cast in a wrong light. And, they, you know, there's a price to pay for that. There, There's casualties that go along with it. So I think God has probably picked out some people that he knows can handle rejection, that can handle a little bit of rebuff and hard times, to push that onto the shore for us so that we, the next generation can carry it. The older I get, the more concerned I am about leaving a legacy for the next generation. I want I want my grandkids to not have to start over again. I want to push it forward enough to where they can take it from where I end up and then move forward till we, till the leaven leavens the whole lump and the whole earth is filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's what I want. So I'm trying to push this thing as fast and forward as I, I possibly can.
2: Well, about 10 years ago, I, I had resigned a church in Oklahoma, and, and I was, i just God, I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, I'm out jogging, and I heard him say, why are you running from what I've called you to reform? And I get an invite to go to a church, and I go to preach, and a lady walks up to me and said, you're not going to get a- away from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so, I, you know, I realized then is, you know, and, and I told God, I said, God, I don't want to do it this way anymore. He said, I never asked you to do it that way in the first place. But I didn't know how to do it because that's all we were taught. So if you look back, like Don was saying, everybody that now we consider a hero in our faith, they were a heretic when yeah, they came that's out. Right. That's Martin right. Luther was a heretic. Martin Luther King was a heretic. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these people that we look at and we say, oh, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, the charismatic, oh, he, he, he was awesome. No, they considered that dude a nut. Mm-hmm kicking a baby off a of stage mm-hmm. you know and so it's we, we need to learn from the, the the things that we have broken through and not make those same mistakes again mm-hmm. but to for another generation like he was saying not well they have to start all the way over again and again and again yeah. you know because of the unbelief of the prior generation yeah. you know hopefully we've dug enough graves in the desert that it's time to go in the promised land. Mm-hmm. And that new generation is not an age. It's a mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was it was a new generation that went in, but it was two old fellers that let them in, Caleb yeah. and Joshua. That's and so that's kind of what I feel like today is God is using some older folks to say, look, we're not going to die here in the desert. We're going to take a new generation in to really who God is.
0: And, and really where that is, right back to the beginning, it was all, relationship Jesus came and yep. showed us sonship. absolutely he showed yeah. us a yeah. loving relationship with a, a father that was not far away in, in some heaven but was right here and everything that gets in the way of that like for me tithing got in the way of just a relationship because there was a formula in between me and God and so to strip those things away and i think that's a lot of what we're talking about even the bible and trying to live a certain way according to the book and all, why do we why do we do that that's just If I'm going to have a relationship with you, Don, or you, Darren, I don't want some formula in the way. I have to show up at your house dressed a certain way to be able to talk to you. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. Let's be friends, you know. And um, I think that's what you're talking about, the Reformation. And it's simple,
2: but it takes a lot of unlearning. You know, I still, people still bother, you know, being a pastor, well, how do you run your church? I said, well, it's easy. I said, you just come back to the two greatest qualities of my father. He's a lover, so he's a giver. I don't have to, it's not a tithing thing. Mm-hmm. It's he loved so he gave. Mm-hmm. If if people are blessed, they want to give so that you can take this message and be a blessing to others, yes. That's simple. Mm-hmm. You don't have to manipulate them. You don't have to tell them and promise them all this kind of stuff. Is look, if you're blessed, you're gonna give, why? It's in your DNA, mm-hmm. okay? God said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You cannot operate in this message and not want to help people.
1: It's not possible. But see, that's reformational thinking, mm-hmm. because that's not church history. Mm-hmm. Church history is is you you pay the tithe. You owe it, yeah. right? You owe it. You owe the tithe. Well, fact is, it's all God's, yeah. right? And we used to teach that too. Well, it's all God's, but all He asks you for is ten percent, and He lets you do with the ninety percent what you want. But we got that down to where uh, it, you felt really guilty. I remember making tithe up, and then we then I I was a pretty crafty pastor. I found a passage that said that if you don't pay your tithe, that you need to add the fifth part there too when you come back. So there's I'd say God has twenty percent interest on the tithe, so you're better you're better off to borrow from your credit card and pay your tithe than to have to pay God twenty percent because your credit card isn't even that much. So don't let your tithe go. Whatever you do, because there's a twenty percent interest on it. And that would then just heap the more guilt on, right? So you got people out there that can hardly pay their 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 mortgage or buy food for the kids or whatever, but they want to make sure their tithe is paid so that they're not cursed with a curse. I mean, that's when, the further you move away from this stuff, <laughs> the crazier it looks. Yeah. But when you're entrenched, like we talked last time, in that culture, it is reality. Yeah. It, perception creates reality. Yeah. And so when that is your perception, that becomes your reality, and that becomes where you live. Well, well here's
2: the easiest way to settle it, is did Jesus take your curse on the cross? Absolutely. Right. Sure. So then how can you be cursed if he became your curse? Right. The creator of the universe took your curse. Mm-hmm. So there's no way you can be cursed unless in your mind you believe it and you accept it. Yeah. It's not there on his part. You're just cursing yourself. Yeah. And you're allowing somebody else to tell you every week that you are cursed. Mm-hmm. Welcome to religion.
0: Well, we, uh, we went a little longer than we aimed, but it's great. It's <laughs> great. Uh, thank you, guys. Fun. Hey, thank you. We'll do it again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Let's Explore podcast. If you'd like to connect with Don Keithley, check out his website at donkeithley.com. If you'd like to connect with Darren Begley, check out his site at godshouse.life. If you'd like to connect with me, you can check out my blog at charityforthesoul.com. All the links to these sites are listed in the description of this episode. And with that, I will leave you with a little teaser for what's coming up next time.
1: Well, Jesus never said he would send us a book, did he? He said he would send us the spirit of truth that would lead us into all truth, never said he would send us a book. And The other thing we have to understand too is that everybody's personal theology bleeds through the translation they make. Uh, Every translator's personal theology bleeds through, whether my good friend Francois de Toi wrote the Mirror Bible. His theology bleeds through all over in that thing, and his notes in every part of it, right? Now think about King James. That was the standard for a long time. Here's King James, who's the king, and he calls together a group of Catholic bishops and says, what I'm trying to do, guys, is to bring all the churches together into one. So I want you to translate the Bible, but make it so it's good for the church, but also good for the government. So what do we have a lot of verses that they've translated how do you think it came out that we should always pray for those in, in government authorities or, or, or that we need to submit to those that are church authorities? It's because some, a lot of the words were translated to bring us into that place where we give reverence to government authorities and give reverence to church authorities. So their, their personal theology, their intentions bled through a lot of the words that were interpreted to make it go kind of the way they wanted it to go.